Hello, I'm Julene, and I'm going to be doing the Bible reading. It's uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 52. So if you just turn to your pages in the Bible. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds... Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. 
Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to be with you. For those who don't know me, my name's Jono. And for those who do know me, my name's also Jono. I should have said, for the benefit of those who don't know me, my name's Jono. There, that, that works, doesn't it? Um, I'm, I uh, am normally across the way at our sister church at uh, Grace Anglican Church, Harrington Park, but it is good to be here with you again uh, this morning. Uh, I think I was here two weeks ago. It's not good. The reason that I'm here with you, and I really feel for, for Gav, who I know was, uh, was really keen to be here and to preach this part of God's word to you this morning. Shout out to Gav and to Lara, uh, who are watching um, at home this morning. Our thoughts and our prayers are with you guys. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 34 says, wait for it while I find my spot. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. What do you make of the parables? Hands up if you like the parables, if you think, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. Got a few hands. Um, you don't have to put it out. This is not a right-wrong question. Um, I, I think the parables do, they can kind of divide people in how they respond to them. I, I know some people love the parables and the way they paint a picture and they, they, they tell a story that, that makes a point. And, but others find them kind of, frankly, a bit obscure and confusing. And they can be a bit obscure and confusing. Because that's kind of Jesus' point in telling parables, actually. Uh, he told, told parables to, in a sense, to confuse people, to, to divide them, or perhaps rather to, to confirm the divisions that were already there. Uh, so on the one hand, uh, some people would be confused and confounded and, and uh, you know, thereby it would confirm them in their, their hardness of heart. Uh, whilst on the other hand, for some people, it would prompt inquiry and promote interest to, to seek out, to, to grow in understanding, to, to not only hear, but also to understand. And so the question for us this morning is, how will these parables land on us? How will we respond to them? What effect will they have? Will they kind of just bounce off us? like strange, confusing stories and make little or no difference to our lives? Or will they actually lead us to inquire, to, to seek out, to, to grow in our understanding? So the key question is not actually, do you like parables? But what are you going to do with them? Now, unsurprisingly, I hope and pray that we will do much with them, that, uh, that these will this part of Jesus' teaching will actually be uh, make an enormous and profound and, and precious and glorious difference to our lives. That's my hope and prayer. And to that end, how about we, before we dive into this uh, part of God's Word, how about we come before God and pray? Let's ask Him to, to help us as we listen to His Word. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for, for this part of Jesus' teaching. We thank You for this time this morning. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts and lives ready to respond to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, these parables before us are, um, are all about the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. By the way, there's an outline of where we're going, and you might find it useful to, to follow along if you want to take notes. 
Um, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, they're two terms that are used by the gospel writers um, sort of interchangeably. And when you think about a kingdom, you might think, well, normally we think of a, a place, you know, a geographic place, the kingdom of England or the, king, the, the United Kingdom. It's a, a geographic place that you can go to. Uh, the kingdom of, of God, though, right, is not talking about a place. It's talking about the, the reign of God, the, the rule of God, the, the reality that God is king, that he's in charge, that he is ruling. And the reality that he rules, the reality of the, the kingdom of God, that's what Jesus brought. Uh, you might remember the message that Jesus set out with his disciples back in chapter 10, verse 7. He said to them, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's come near with Jesus. And so here Jesus uh, tells these parables about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, there's actually seven different parables before us this morning. Um, I'm conscious that last time I preached I had five single verses. Um, this week I've got seven whole parables. I'm not quite sure what I was thinking. But, um, but they do actually hang together and they have a unifying theme. Uh, they're all about the kingdom of heaven. And I hope that we'll see how they, how they fit together for us to paint a picture. A little bit like seven pieces of a, of a seven-piece jigsaw puzzle. I realise a seven-piece jigsaw puzzle is a pretty small jigsaw puzzle. Maybe one of those, you know, those kids' ones, but, but you get the idea. Or, or maybe seven different angles or views on a, on a complex and, and, uh, and amazing diamond or something like that. And I realise I've just introduced two more parables for us to understand. But uh, maybe we should just get into Jesus' parables. Um, the first three... Uh, are introduced for us in a similar way. Look there in your Bibles, uh, verse 24. says, Jesus told them another parable, and then he starts on it. And then down in verse 31, he told them another parable. And in verse 33, he told them still another parable. So these three parables are introduced in that same way. And it begs the question of who's the them? Who's he speaking to? And you might think, well, he's just been talking to the disciples, um, explaining the, the parable of the sower. So maybe it's the disciples. But then when you get to verse 34, it says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. So Jesus is speaking to the crowd. Remember, uh, the, the crowd were beside the lake back in uh, verse 1 of of, uh, sorry, verse 2 of chapter 13, where they're beside the lake and there's so many people, Jesus retreats into a boat and he's teaching them from the boat on the lake. Well, here Jesus tells the crowd these three uninterpreted parables. Firstly, the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, later in the chapter, Jesus explained uh, what this parable means to his disciples. And we've read the explanation. So, you know, spoiler, 
we know what it means. But the crowds, when they heard this, didn't understand. They wouldn't have understood it. In fact, the disciples didn't understand it. They had to come, which is why they came to Jesus and ask him to explain it to them. And without Jesus' explanations, I reckon we probably wouldn't understand it either. I mean, we might come up with, with all sorts of our own understandings and interpretations. Uh, maybe we'd think, well, Jesus is teaching about diversity in the kingdom of, of God. You know, we've got people like us who are wheat and then there's those other people that are, that are different to us. They're like weeds and, and well, maybe, you know, he's just teaching us that we shouldn't uproot them. We, we should tolerate them as we live together in the kingdom. Of... Now, just to be clear, that's not what this parable is about. And uh, we're not actually at liberty to make up our own interpretations of God's word. Um, there's a word for that. It's called false teaching. My point is just illustrating that without Jesus' explanation, we might not understand it and we might come up with our own sort of interpretations. We might be just as confused as the disciples were and the crowds were. Because that's the impact that parables can have. We'll get to what Jesus does mean in a bit. But first, notice Jesus gives the crowd two more parables the mustard seed and the yeast. Verse 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, we're not actually given uh, explanations of these parables, but I don't think they're too difficult to understand. Uh, Jesus, firstly, is contrasting what he says is the smallest of all seeds with the largest of garden plants. He's saying despite the, the seemingly small beginnings of God's kingdom, like a mustard seed, God's kingdom will grow to eventually encompass the world like the wide, a wide-spreading tree. Uh, similarly, in the second parable, he says there, the, the, the small amount of yeast is worked into a large amount of dough. What does it say? 60 pounds or, or 27 kilograms. It's a, it's a lot of dough until the whole lot is leavened. What Jesus was doing, though seemingly small, would have a profound, a massive transformation. The same is true today. The, uh, the seemingly small step of, of you putting your trust in, in Jesus or, or you persevering in obeying his word. That small step can have a massive, big, life-changing, intergenerational impact. Jesus is teaching these parables to the crowd. And as verse 34 says, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. Now Matthew adds there that uh, in verse 35 that by, by doing this, Jesus was fulfilling scripture. Verse 35, Matthew writes, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now, uh, Matthew here is quoting from Psalm 78. 
And uh, when you read Psalm 78, it's, it's all about the history of Israel and how God had performed miracles and wonders and yet Israel had rebelled against God and, and uh, that eventually led to God's judgment on them. And yet even still, because of God's grace and His mercy, He said that He will send a David-like figure who will come and, and rule over a remnant of God's people. And Matthew says, well, that's kind of similar to what's going on here. With Jesus' parables, with, with the generation around him, uh, these parables have a, a divisive effect in the response that they provoke, like, like seed falling on different soils. Some people, despite Jesus' miracles, reject God's word. And yet, there's a remnant that will accept it. And, and these different responses, they highlight the reality that God will likewise respond in different ways as he did in Psalm 78, with both judgment and with mercy. Which is actually kind of the point of the parable of the weeds. We read on verse 36, there's a, there's a scene change from lakeside to house. Verse 36, then he left the crowd and went into the house. Uh, his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Notice there that detail, that his disciples came to him. Uh, back in verse 10, it says similarly, the disciples came to him, to Jesus, the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Unlike the crowds, the disciples, they, they, they take up Jesus' generous invitation, they come to him. That they seek understanding, they, they want to listen to his word. And in that, they're a model for us, that we should come to Jesus, seek understanding, listen to his word. They ask him to explain, Jesus explained, he, he answers them, he, he explains the parable of the weeds. He outlines firstly the symbolism in verse 37 uh, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. So Jesus explains the, the symbolism. But he doesn't just leave it there for them and for us to just kind of draw whatever lesson we might from, uh, from this this scenario. Now, the point of the parable, the harvest, is, sorry, the point of the parable is the harvest. That's what it's all driving towards. What happens at the end of the age? As Jesus continues, verse 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, this is pretty full on. Jesus is talking about hell. Um, people don't like hearing about it. Um, I don't like speaking about it. Uh, sometimes preachers get accused of using hell as a kind of scare tactic. But I think we need to understand that the Lord Jesus was the greatest hellfire preacher there was. Jesus spoke openly and plainly about hell. And he said that one day there will be 
a final reckoning. At the end of the age, the, the enemies of God will be judged. They will be condemned by God, condemned to an existence of suffering, of weeping and gnashing of teeth, says Jesus. It's horrible. Maybe we don't like how horrible it is. Maybe we, we may even be tempted to question God's, God's justice. But if we do, perhaps that's a sign that actually we don't fully appreciate just how horribly evil sin is. How horrible it is for someone who is created in the image of God for relationship with Him to turn their back on God, their Creator, to, to set themselves up as the one who is in control, to become an enemy of God. The horror of hell which Jesus speaks plainly of here reflects the horror of sin. Jesus says God will bring ultimate justice. So the warning for us is let's make sure we're not on the wrong side of that when that day comes. The enemies of God will be condemned, Jesus says. But fortunately that's not the end of it because there is a glorious alternative that Jesus offers to those who who belong to God's kingdom, to those who hear and understand the word of God, in God's incredible mercy, they are made righteous. They're forgiven. They're declared right with God. As verse 43 says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Notice that beautiful little detail there. Their Father. These, these people who are in the kingdom of God they are children of God, shining like the sun in the kingdom of their, of their father where dad is their king. The kingdom of God has come. Jesus brought it. And it came with the announcement that a judgment day is coming, a day of reckoning, which will, will bring for all people one of two starkly different outcomes, either weeping and gnashing of teeth, or shining like the sun in the kingdom. That's the meaning of the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And with that, Jesus then gives the one exhortation, the one command in this chapter. Are you keen for a command from Jesus? Are you the sort of person that just, you know, give me something to do, if I want something to do? Here's the, the one command from Jesus in this chapter. End of verse 43. Whoever has ears... Let them hear or listen. It's a command. Listen, seek understanding. Come to Jesus, take his word on board, seek to do his will because that's actually what matters most. And that's the point that Jesus makes in the fourth and fifth parables with the hidden treasure and the pearl. This is what matters most. Now, interestingly, these, um, these two the stories, along with the next two also, uh, are not introduced as parables. Uh, even though the NIV um, section headings call them parables, uh, Matthew doesn't introduce them as parables. Earlier he said he told them another parable. Here, it just, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. Which is interesting. And I wonder if it's because they're said to 
the disciples. They're said to the people who are wanting to listen, wanting to understand, who wanting to get the explanation. They're not said to the crowds who... Uh, and so they don't have the same kind of confounding divisive effect that the earlier three parables uh, do. Jesus says, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Notice there that, that gaining the kingdom is a source of great joy. It's not some sort of burden that he you know, begrudgingly gave up things that he really wanted to hang on to, really wished he could hang on to. No, it says in his joy, joy elicited by the prospect of the treasure of this kingdom, of this treasure, he went and sold all he had in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. The kingdom of heaven is of such singular, supreme importance and value. Similarly, Jesus continues, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found one of great value. He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What is it that you would sell everything you had in order to buy? The one thing, Jesus says, of, is of supreme value is the kingdom of our heavenly Father. That's worth losing everything for. It's that important. We've just got a little visit here. We just pause the toilet break. Anyone else want to run to the loo? It's good timing, actually. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is that thing, that thing of supreme importance and value. It's worth losing everything else for. Now, you might have noticed um, these parables kind of come in pairs. Uh, the mustard seed goes with the yeast. The, uh, the, the, the treasure goes with the pearl. And then the wheat and the weeds, the first one, well, it goes with what comes next, the net. Verse 47, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. Similar to the, the wheat and the weeds, the separation of the, of the good from the bad. And then the explanation comes, and it's basically the same. Verse 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, Jesus has said it, it's, it's basically exactly the same point. He's given them two parables to make the same point. It's of such importance. He's making sure that they understand, that they get it. There's a judgment day that's coming. Well, then having laid it all out plainly, to make sure that they've got it, that, that they're the good soil who both hears and understands, he, he asks for 51, have you understood all these things? Have you got it? Yes, they reply. They've asked him to explain, he's explained, now they understand. 
And so he gives them one last parable, one last illustration. Verse 52, he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, at first, this might seem like a bit of a riddle. What's this talking about? But we've got a teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom. And, and they're likened to a house owner who who brings out of his storeroom both new treasures as well as old treasures. There's a, a continuity and there's a fulfilment in the kingdom of God, in the treasure that Jesus brings. And in this way, he's, he's reinforcing the same point again, that belonging to the kingdom is great treasure from God. The question for us is, well, what are we going to do with Jesus' teaching? What are the implications for us? I think it challenges us on, on what matters most. It, it points us forward in life such that we, we live life now like, like wheat in God's harvest field, knowing that a judgment day is coming. And that forward focus, what that does is it, it puts things into perspective now. It says that the, well, the things of this life are are ultimately not what matters most. Belonging to the kingdom, that coming day, that coming age, that's what matters most. That coming day when, by God's grace, we will share in God's glorious kingdom, shining like the sun. We can't even imagine how, how precious, how wonderful, how spectacular that will be. That's worth more than anything that we have or own. Now, that doesn't mean that this life and the things of it are you know, meaningless, but their meaning and their value is shaped by that future coming reality. Uh, one way that that, that that future shapes our lives now and, and what matters now is that it shows us, well, it's really important that people hear and understand God's word so that they become wheat in God's field rather than weeds that are tied up and burned in the end. That they come into the kingdom of God, that they receive the righteousness of God through Christ. That they shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. That's what matters. Jesus taught his disciples about this plainly. He teaches us about it plainly through the Bible. Hell is real and it's horrible. And Jesus died so that you and I could be saved from it. So let's give ourselves to living for God's kingdom and helping whoever we can to do the same. Uh, with that in mind, will you start praying, if you, or if you have started, keep praying Pray for Easter coming up, for our Easter church gatherings. Pray for, for Mark Drama next term. Pray for Explaining Christianity, which will follow on from that. Pray that, that many people will come and will hear and will understand and will accept the invitation to come to Jesus, to be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. And I guess in closing, um, one key implication of Jesus' teaching here is that if you haven't yet done that yourself,
If you haven't yet come to Jesus to be welcomed into his kingdom by his grace, then I want to say, what are you waiting for? That's the hidden treasure. That's the the pearl of great price. That's the thing that's worth giving up all you have in order to have. And Jesus warns that there is a judgment day coming. But he also calls us, invites us to come to him, to rest in him and to be saved from that judgment through him. So I want to say if you need to come to Jesus, if you want to come to Jesus, um, if that's you, if that's where your heart's at and you think, well, yeah, what am I waiting for? I want to give you an opportunity this, this morning to, to do that, to accept that invitation. Uh, I'm going to pray a prayer, lead us in, in, a, in a simple prayer. That's the sort of prayer that you would pray to accept Jesus' invitation. I'll read the prayer so you know if this is where you're at. Uh, the prayer says this, Dear God, I, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I have rebelled against you in my thoughts, words and actions. I don't deserve the gift of belonging to your kingdom. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, that I might be forgiven and welcomed into your kingdom. Please forgive me and change me, that I might live in your kingdom with Jesus as my king. I'm going to pray that prayer now. And if that's, if that's where you're at, if you know that you need to come home to Jesus, that you need to accept his invitation, then I invite you to pray that with me in the quietness of your own mind. I'll, I'll pray it a line, line by line and you can repeat it in your heart to God. But let's all bow our heads as I lead us in prayer. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I have rebelled against you in my thoughts, words and actions. I don't deserve the gift of belonging to your kingdom. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me, that I might be forgiven and welcomed into your kingdom. Please forgive me and change me that I might live in your kingdom with Jesus as my king. Amen. Friends, I want to say, if you've prayed that prayer this morning and meant that from your heart, I want to assure you that God has heard and answered that prayer. And you have crossed over from death to life, from being an enemy of God to being welcomed in as a precious child in his family, in his kingdom. That is a wonderful thing. Um, Scripture say, says that the angels rejoice in heaven when one, when, when one person returns home to their heavenly father. Um, that is a wonderful thing. If, that, if you've made that decision this morning, um, please let me know about it so I can, um, I can welcome you into this part of God's family. Um, you could uh, put that on the Connect form and, and Gav uh, or, and myself will see that. Or you come and chat to me afterwards. Um, that would be great.